Welcome to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. My name is Justin Wheeler. I am the preaching pastor for Cornerstone. And today I will be starting a new study for the year 2019. And I hope that you will join me, not just today, but for the remainder of the year. This year we're going to be working through the Heidelberg Catechism. And my task over the course of the year is going to be to provide just some devotional commentary for the assigned weekly readings, the questions and answers that we're going to see throughout the year. Now, the catechism itself, for those of you who don't know, it's broken up into 52 specific readings, and it is intended to be used throughout the church year. Each Sunday, we'll begin a new section, and I'm going to be working with Cody, our minister of music, to incorporate the weekly readings into our Sunday morning worship gathering, just as a reminder and as a way to kick off the readings for the week. And then in the middle of the week, I will be posting this podcast where I'm just going to be discussing the readings with you. And with this podcast, I hope to provide some general accountability to keep us going along the way as well as to help us dig a little bit deeper into the questions and the answers so that we can grow in our faith in Christ while memorizing biblical truth together. And that's what we're supposed to do with this catechism. The goal is to memorize the questions and the answers along the way, to hide the truth of the gospel and the truth of the scriptures in our hearts. Now today, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the history of the catechism, a little bit more about how to use the catechism uh, so that we can get the most out of our time, and then we're actually going to look at this week's questions and answers. So first, let's get a little bit of history. In 1562, just 40 years removed from the the start of the Protestant Reformation, uh, Elector Frederick III of Germany ordered the preparation of a new catechism for his religious territory. Now, when I say religious territory, you can think Catholic parishes. He was responsible for an entire region and the, the leadership, the spiritual leadership of individuals within that region. And Elector Frederick III wanted a catechism, this new catechism. He wanted it to serve three distinct purposes. He wanted it to be a tool for teaching the faith to children. He wanted it to be and serve as a guide for preachers. And he wanted it to serve as a form of confessional unity among Protestants in Germany. Now, we're not using it in that second way. Um, It's not going to necessarily guide my preaching, uh, and we're definitely not using it to try to uh, unify ourselves amongst Protestants right now. What we're doing as a church is we're trying to use it as a tool for teaching the faith to the next generation. When we think about discipleship or we think about teaching theology, when we, te- we think about raising up the next generation, a lot of times we think about going to a class or maybe we'll buy some particular book on discipleship. But for generations, for centuries, the church turned to these smaller catechisms as a way to pass the faith on from one generation to the next. This was their discipleship strategy. And so just by spending an entire year in it as a church, my hope is that that's that's exactly what it will produce, that our children will grow up in this faith and that we as well will grow up in our own following of Christ as a result of spending time in this. Now, going back to the history, Frederick wanted a catechism that was clearly rooted in Scripture, and as we read through this, and we'll see that it is, but he also wanted this one to to serve to bring um, all these new Protestant churches together while avoiding particular labels that could have been, uh, well, somewhat divisive. And so he commissioned a team of professors and ministers to complete the work. And this catechism reflects 
theological convictions that are firmly Protestant and largely Calvinistic. Now, like most catechisms, the Heidelberg focuses on three particular things, three particular writings, the Apostles' Creed, the Ten Commandments, and the Lord's Prayer. Its questions and answers are structurally divided into 52 Lord's Days. Uh, Now, when we say Lord's Days, we're talking about the day that we gather for worship, the day on which the Lord was raised. And and that made it easy because the, the catechism was structured based on those 52 Lord's Days of the year. It made it easy for pastors to preach from this, and it provided a convenient schedule for once-a-week family devotions. And that's how I plan to use it with my family this year. I hope you'll follow suit. Now, okay, so you might be asking, why in the world are we doing this? Well, I hope the history that I've just shared with you might give you some clue to that, but it, it really is a fair question. Most of us have not grown up with the catechism. But here's the answer that I would give. All of us need to know our Bible better than we know the Heidelberg Catechism. But all of us can have our faith strengthened, our knowledge broadened, and our love for Jesus deepened by committing to the study of the doctrinal truth found in this catechism. Now, it's not a perfect document. It's not infallible. It doesn't get everything right. And along the way, I want to have some dialogue with you about the things that maybe I disagree with or think are a little bit weak or maybe too strong in certain areas. But I will say this about it. It is thorough. It is biblical. And it will be a huge help to all of us if we take the study of it seriously. By the way, one of the reasons we've chosen the Heidelberg to do this with is that it's so beautifully written. It's a joy to read. And it expounds on the truth of the gospel in a way that captivates my mind and heart. And I trust that it will do the same for you as well. So there's a little bit of history and a little bit of how we plan to use this thing. Now let's turn our attention to this week's questions and answers. Question number one, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Now that's a very interesting question. This is the question that begins this entire thing. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Now, when we think of comfort, we might think of the creature comforts afforded to us, like a ready supply of food or a clean change of warm clothes or a comfortable couch to rest on or a bed to stretch out in at night or one of many things afforded to us as Americans in the 21st century. But those kind of comforts is not what this question is all about. This catechism was originally written in German, and the German word used here stresses a deeper type of comfort. The question is really asking, what is your only real security in life and in death? And the answer given is this, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. This answer here, it puts life and death into perspective in a powerful way. If we are not our own, meaning we do not belong to ourselves only, but to the God who created us, then our comfort had better be something that pleases Him and not simply those things that please us. And in this case, the comfort of the believer in Jesus Christ actually does please God. As believers in Jesus, we belong to Him, body and soul. Now, how does He, how does Jesus comfort our soul? Well, the catechism answers, because he has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. That's how Jesus comforts our soul. How does he comfort us in life? 
the catechism goes on. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Both our soul and our body, our life and our death are in his hands, and he cares for both with unmatched love and devotion. In Christ, we are set free from the penalty of our sin and from the tyranny of the devil. In Christ, our life, hard though it may be at times, is guarded by him such that nothing can happen to us that is not 100% the will of our Father. And the Bible, as well as this catechism, tells us that even the hard things that we face, even the painful things that we face, and the sorrowful things that we face, they're all being worked by God for the good of those who love Him. The question and answer goes on. Because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. Our soul is secure in His hands. Our body is secure in His plans, and our future is brighter than we can imagine. This is the comfort. This is the real security that we have as believers, and it is the only one that we have. Well, let's look at the second question. What must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort. Now, I want to pause for a second and just point something out. This is an important question because it tells us that our faith in Christ, that that opening question of what our real security and comfort lies, it is supposed to affect the way we live and it is supposed to affect the way we die. As Christians, we should live with deep joy. And if you can take it, we should even die with deep joy. But there are some things that we must know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort. And there are three of them. There are three parts to the answer to question number two and three simple words that will help us to remember the answer uh, that this question has. And those three words are guilt, grace, and gratitude. Here's the answer. How must we uh, know, what must we know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort? First, how great are my sin and misery? Guilt. We need to understand our guilt. Second, how am I set free from all my sins and misery? Grace. And number three, how am I to thank God for such deliverance? Gratitude. If we don't understand our sin and the guilt that it brings, then we will be too confident in ourselves and we'll fail to look to Christ as our Savior. We won't realize the answer to the first question that we do not belong to ourselves but belong both body and soul to God. And if we don't understand the greatness of our sin, then we may, like so many before us, think that we can deal with our sin problem on our own and we'll not be looking for the Savior to come. But if we see our sin and misery as great then we will understand that freedom can only be received as a gift from God, not earned. And when we see this grace with the clear eyes of faith, it's supposed to produce gratitude for the one who supplied it. You see, in order for us to live and die happily in the comfort of Christ, we must know the guilt of our sin, the grace that covers that sin, and and show gratitude to the one who delivered us from sin's penalty. Now, these two questions and their answers are meant to be the foundation of our entire life and our death. These truths help us to make sense of our world, our experience, and what is to come. 
And the reality is that we can face everything with the knowledge that we are not our own because we've been bought with a price. And because we are His, we can face life and death with comfort and joy. Now, I hope that you will join me again next week as I discuss with you questions three and four and five. Now, if you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can visit us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBC Wiley. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstonewiley. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Thanks for listening.